Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries. Hey, listen, look, we're the only podcast like this. I mean, there's only one Gospel Rant. We're doing a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount. We've just been through 1 Thessalonians as well. We're going to, hopefully, my plan is to sort of get into the Advent story starting in November, but we're not going to stop on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, and, and it's so important. This is the, the benchmark sermon series of Jesus. This is the the capstone of the entire Gospel of Matthew. So look, we're going to ask the text some very difficult, relevant, real-life questions, and I think we're coming up with answers that can change lives. And really, I mean, yeah, everybody says that, but I I think I mean it. You don't have to agree with uh, where we're headed. It's a rant, by the way, but it is required that you enter the dialogue uh, and uh, you kind of posit this stuff in your head and kick it around. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the most important series sermon series ever delivered. And I think so often we moderns miss the point. We bury the headline. I'm not judging anybody. It's just the way it is. And after you hear this particular podcast, you tell me, Bill at gospel-app.com. I mean, I think it's so clear. I think it pops, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount pops off the page. Okay, here it is. Jesus says that you and I must be perfect. In the same way, God is perfect. I mean, what? All right, here we go. Before we dig in, here is a word from our sponsors. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. All right, welcome back. Um, before I get going, let me let me tell a, a word picture. There was a very difficult hiking trail just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia, where we lived. I did this mountain climb twice, but both times I thought I was going to die. It was the darling of young adults. I had one very athletic friend who ran most of the way. I can't believe it still, but God bless him. What I remember is at the trailhead, the first length was a very difficult rise. I mean, not even really a trail. You almost had to find the trail by climbing. And then the trail would flatten out a little. And of course, my brain was relieved and thought, whew, I did it. It's easy from here on out, but not so much. Then a steep, difficult, narrow rise, followed by a flattening, then a rise and flattening, and over and over and over. At one point, you could see the top. 
<laughs> but it wasn't the top. Just out there, just beyond your reach. It, I mean, it just was calling. It was a siren call. Uh, so you feel encouragement or success, and but it it was just another saddle. And and I remember once I thought I was done, and I was only about halfway up. I'm convinced that the thing that made this climb so difficult was the head games it played with you. And I I did it twice. I don't I don't know what's wrong with me. And neither time, by the way, did I jog. So why do I bring up this trail? The Sermon on the Mount, I think feels similarly to that trail. And remember the beginning of the trailhead, Jesus abruptly starts with the very difficult to believe, much less comprehend, enviable are the unenviable, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here's what he said. Look, everyone, Jesus said, I'm God and I'm saying this, so let's get it right. Do you see these unlikely people here? This group that nobody wants, the impure, the unclean, these removed from their gods, cursed, no doubt, not good Jews, uh, right? The divorced, the sexually impure, the sick, the demon-possessed, no chance in hell of them making heaven, even if the judge was wildly merciful. You see them? Well, I'm saying everything that God promised Abraham is, present tense, theirs. Kingdom of heavens, the comfort of God, and the land, thus the first three Beatitudes, right? The infamous land, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Israel. These people, they're part of the title holders now, along with all of the above. Oh, man. And remember I said that the reaction of beat-up, cynical people on the hillside would no doubt be something like, uh, okay, what's the catch? Is there a fee? Uh, do we have to, uh, to charge or sign up or join our prescription or subscription? Do we have to get 10 of our friends to, I mean, what is this scam even legal? What's the loophole? And I bet they felt anger, some of them. I can't believe how insensitive this guy is to tell me such he has no idea what I've done he has, or what's been done to me, the many bad, destructive choices I've made, uh, things that have happened to me. How dare he stand there with his white robe and give me hope like that? You with me? And then there would be the Jewish leaders. Look, after he said that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why he wasn't arrested or killed on the spot, because on the surface, it was such a reckless statement. And if true, you can't really draw a line between the two points from these people and the righteousness required. That's why these Beatitudes, I call them in my latest Bible study for small groups, Jesus said, what? Uh, I call them the radical Beatitudes. Uh, And by the way, you can get Jesus said, what? Question mark on Amazon, our website. You can listen to uh, the videos, watch the videos on Right Now Media. So uh, please do. I think it's some of the clearest stuff I've done on the Sermon on the Mount. I think you'll appreciate it. Uh, Get it to your small groups and your churches. I I think, man, if nothing else, it's going to get dialogue going, and that's a good thing today. So someone on that hillside would have asked, maybe not aloud, right? You You know how people are, but would have thought it. Well, wait a second. What about my sin? If God was in any way just, righteous, even a little, I'm never going to make it past the judgment seat. I'm not going to make it out of committee. 
you know, maybe the synagogue leader has a shot, but you know, there's still those rumors. <laughs> maybe the righteous Jews, I, I don't know anyone, but you know, if there was one, maybe they'd make it. But no one else, and certainly not non-Jews, right? The, the uncircumcised? Mm. So that was the confusion and the glory of the hillside. And you heard me say that the Sermon on the Mount was the capstone, the engine of the entire Gospel of Matthew. The rest of the Gospel of Matthew is an unpacking, or if you will, the inevitable result of the things that sprung out of the Sermon on the Mount. And yet, so far, nowhere does Jesus refer to the cross, to substitutionary atonement to his death on the cross or sin, for impurity, for unfaithfulness to God, not once. So is this an oversight? What do you think? I mean, he should have mentioned this, right? Have we missed it? No, because we're still at the first stretch of that difficult climb up this difficult hillside that plays with your heads. And we're just past that first heavy lifting part of the, the trailhead, and we can't see the top. We're feeling a little gassed. Our muscles, muscles are beginning to ache. We're thirsty. We wish we didn't start it in the first place. But what do you do? You got to keep climbing. So let me encourage you on your spiritual climb. Jesus says, yours is the kingdom of, of heaven. What? Well, that's great news, but still unlikely, even in our case, what about justice? What about punishment for my celestial rebellion and lack of faithfulness? I need to do something, right? More than I'm doing, right? Something above and beyond. But what? What? And by the way, what would be enough? And Jesus says, but I say, don't even be angry. Don't treat anyone with less honor than, than anyone else. Don't criticize. Don't make them feel small. Don't shame them. Response, yeah, that those are good things. I should do it. I get it. But I'm not going to pull that off. I mean, I'm not going to murder. That's kind of doable. But truth told, I've already botched this command a few times, maybe today, 70 times seven. No way. And Jesus adds on top, piling on. The, the slope gets steeper. But I say, never long for someone relationally or sexually. Don't lust or don't daydream. Don't disregard the innate glory of anyone that you would ever Think of using them to get dopamine hits in, in your brain sexually, right? Yeah. All right. He's right again. I should. That's something that, that I should do, but I can't seem to pull it off. I mean, I'm not going to rape. That's doable. But truth told, I've already botched this command more than once, 70 times seven times at least recently. And Jesus piles on, but I say you should really love your spouse as they are, as much as God loves them. And so why would you even consider divorcing them then? Yeah, I should. I get it, but I can't seem to pull it off. Um, truth told, I've already botched this command more than once, 70 times, seven times at least. Piling on again, but I say never lie or misrepresent or expand upon, or exaggerate, manipulate, trick, advertise falsely. Mm, yeah, I should do these. I get it, but I can't seem to pull it off. Uh, truth told, I've already botched this command more than once, 70 times seven times at least recently. And we're not even halfway up this impossible slope, and it's getting steeper and steeper and discouraging, embarrassing. 
No saddles where I where it looks like I can regroup and redefine. And I definitely can't see the top. It's just getting further and further away. I'm feeling, I'm not feeling enviable. In fact, I'm feeling more and more tired, more and more like a failure. And yet I look into Jesus' eyes as he says these things, and I'm sensing love for me still, the failure. I'm sensing honor towards me, the outcast. I see it, it seems like he really wants to be with me. His pupils, pupils are dilated. He's smiling at me. And yet, I hear his words. They seem to be dangerous words word, that warn of different outcome for me because I'm not pulling any of these off, not even close. I feel like a disappointment, like a failure. And, you know, what happens when he just sees how badly I've failed? In fact, I know that I'm going to continue to fail. I suspect, right? I'm going to let him down. I'm going to embarrass him. I'm, I'm not worthy. The religious leaders, my family, the tribe, they were right about me. I've made mistakes. I am impure. I'm not righteous, not worthy of heaven, not worthy to be said in the same sentence with Abraham or David, not me. What would the heavens do in my hands? I mean, I'd, I'd make them unclean. Jesus again, but I say, forgive the people and institutions who have hurt you so badly, some over and over, who made you feel like crap. Again, Jesus, I don't know if other people's brains are wired differently, but I can't. I won't. I, I don't know how. And even if I did, in some cases, I don't want to. If this is what it means to be with Jesus, I don't belong. And certainly he can see that, right? Or he will, then what? Ah, so many Christians that I speak with about the Sermon on the Mount tell me that they hate the sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount because they feel so much worse afterwards, typically, because it seems like Jesus is piling on. The Torah says this, but I'm saying it's even a, it's hard, harder than that. And I wasn't even close to reaching the Torah level. It's frightening how bad I failed and certainly not an enviable. I don't feel like it. And then and then this passage. <laughs> this is the pinnacle. This is the steepest slope yet. And by the way, uh, warning, I'm going to disagree with, with the interpretation of almost all commentators that I've read, and that's a lot of them. And I get it. I get where they're headed. I get their well-meaningness. I do, so no judgment for me. But I think they've missed the point of the ongoing, increasing steepness of the slope we're on. And particularly this bunch on the hillside in Galilee, and, and by the way, me, this unlikely, unclean, unfaithful, unbelieving failures, the tokoi tonumati, real humanity like me, by the way, like you, they can't do any of these things. Not even close to well And what makes them special. Really, if, if we step back, you know what really makes them special and enviable? Because they're the ones most likely to admit their failure. Because they don't have to protect some facade of righteousness. I think they would have given up on that a long time ago. They would be perhaps the first to finally say, who then can be saved? There it is. That's the question. That's the trail peak. Maybe for many of us, we're not there yet. And Jesus is just piling on them until they can ask that question. And he's using Jewish rhetoric to do it. Uh, so you think you can do that? Well, here's another requirement. You think you got that? Here's another requirement. And then this one. This one. 
Oh, my goodness. But before we get to it, let's take another short break. Uh, get a word from some of our sponsors again. Run out and buy their stuff. We'll see you in a minute. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Matthew 5.43. Oh, my goodness, this is, this is so painful. And commentators just dance around. <laughs> I mean, it's fun to watch. I get it. Here we go, 5.43. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> right. You know, there's a reason I call them my enemies. Uh, I don't feel that way towards them. 545, so that you may be sons and daughters, right, of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? I mean, he's just having fun now. Do not even the tax collectors, Matthew, (laughs) do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, by the way, I just want to point out, it's fun that Matthew would include this. I think it's so de- self-deprecating, and uh, I, I think I think it's a hoot. 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you do, doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And by the way, they were Gentiles on that hillside. Again, I think Jesus is having fun. I think the crowd would have chuckled. All right. The word hate, uh, it's miseo. Depending on the context, it, it doesn't necessarily mean advanced hatred, right? It, the verb ranges the context, the spectrum from disfavor to detest. So it includes all of those. In context, you have to determine which one he means. So the English word hate generally suggests emotions and effective connotations that, you know, don't always reflect the Semitic shame-honor usage of the word here. So it, it could also include whole and disfavor, to be disinclined to, to have relatively little regard for. So it's it's even harder. So it's not just don't feel hatred for. So, you know, sometimes we can just try to cue back the, the emotions. This is broader. In an honor-shame world, don't treat anyone in any way that could potentially lead to public shame, to show disregard. 
to despise, to make them feel despised, disrespected. Well, and these are people who've hurt you, by the way. These are people who've robbed you, taken things from you. You know, good luck with that. And by the way, no other group would have experienced more than than such maseo from the people around them than this group on the hillside. If someone would have, someone's brain would have asked, yeah, but wait a second, they have maseoed us over and over and over. When do we get honor, justice, and healing? It's not fair to ask us to do this, right? Yeah. And you can see the trail is now cluttered with roots and branches and steep rocks that we have to climb over, and it's just impossible. We're not going to make it. So, wait, Jesus, are you saying that if I'm going to keep my spot in God's favor, I got to do this and do it well, perfectly? It's not happening. Uh, You know, what's the point? I can't. I haven't. I won't. I'm not wired that way to treat people who've hurt me, scarred me, shamed me, treated me dishonorably, uh, to treat them with respect and honor, no matter what they do to me. Jesus, I can't. I won't. And Jesus's response, poignant, troubling, wonderful, and arresting. Matter of fact, the standard is, the bar is, be perfect. If you want to earn this relationship, this enviability, be perfect. 548. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Crazy. Crazy. It's outlandish. How in the world are these intransigently imperfect humans on the hillside uh, who are identified by their failure, uh, their weakness, their incapacity, their their lack of uh, success in areas, how are they going to get it? How are they going to turn around? How are they going to be perfect? And what about their former imperfection? So well-meaning commentators kind of come with the premise that Jesus can't mean perfect, right? I mean, that's impossible. So what could he have meant that would would we could we could possibly explain? Well, usually it's something like the word mature. Be mature. Mature seems much more possible. I mean, we start off young, past failures, you know, kind of written off, and, and now we can do better and better and better and better and better and ramp it up. At least and that makes sense, perhaps, and, and it's a reasonable translation of the word, at least until he adds, as your heavenly father is, let's say mature. Well, no, I'm not going to get there. I, I can start. I'm not going to get there. It's impossible. And that's the whole point. Let's not miss this. Let's embrace it. Let's embrace the impossible. Um and I think that would have been the conclusion to so many on the hillside after they heard the very first beatitude. I mean, it's crazy impossible. And maybe for someone else, but not for me. Then that each of the six, you have heard, but I tell you, the degree of difficulty of the dive, you know, of, of the event just went up precipitously. I mean, honestly, self-aware, humble humans would have said, what? Not happening not in this lifetime. I, I agree, but I, I look at me. I'm just not pulling this off. I can't do it. I need a plan B. If I'm going to be, if I'm going to make it to heaven, I need a rescue, not a Ted's talk. The Ted's talk is good. Nothing wrong with it. He's right. Be perfect. Of course. Exactly. Remember Adam and Eve, one sin. That's all it took. Ah, now we're beginning to get Jesus a little. 
and, and don't push back from it. Embrace it. This is why he had to come. You know, he could have just sent a series of instructions, a list of to-dos. He could have sent some video TED Talks, uh, some, got some YouTube channel, and, and said, here are some things you need to do in every area on how to, to, to live, to make it to heaven, right? Oh, snap, wait, he already did. It wasn't YouTubes, it wasn't videos, but it was scrolls. Matter of fact, we call them the Old Testament. Uh, we didn't do them. Nobody did. Because even in the Old Testament, if you read Deuteronomy 28, it's perfection that's required. So now he had come for plan B, if you will. He's coming to rescue failures, which has always been plan A, by the way. But we're going to refer to it as plan B in their heads. So the mountain trail that we're climbing is just turned up 100% vertical with smooth, impenetrable sides. Uh, We can't. There's no handholds. We can't climb, no matter what your technology. We can't. It can't be done, period. We're looking straight up going, I'm not going to climb this. Who then can be saved? And here's the answer. No one. I mean, not on our own efforts, not by our own wills, our so-called free wills. You know, we talk of free wills. We're, we're not capable. Our, my will's not that free, uh, and it's going to make mistakes, Right. I've only met two people in my lifetime that claimed they were perfect, that they were perfectly righteous, uh, and neither, it turns out, were. Um, and as I pointed out some of the things, they would get angry, therefore sinning. It, we're not perfect. That's the point. And remember, I said that up until this point, there had been no mention of the cross or Jesus' substitutionary death for my unfaithfulness and impurity, for breaking the law, for not loving God and others. Well, here it is. I mean, it's indirect, it's in the shadows, it's implied, but you can, man, if you look at the text, you can almost see it. You can almost hear the agony of Jesus. It's there. Um, see, if perfection is what it takes and I can't, then somebody, somebody, I guess, has to do it on my behalf, somebody who's perfect, or I'm stuck. I can't get any higher up the slope. Matter of fact, I'm just start slipping down. Jesus is the only plan B slash A out there. He's not just looking for disciples or the worthy or the righteous. He's looking for failures. Um, It seems like huge failures who need a rescue. I mean, Paul said in Corinthians, uh, some of you were murderers and and adulterers and so forth. It's it's tongue in cheek, all of us. And that's what makes people on the hillside enviable. Their savior is standing right in front of them, arms open, pupils dilated, and, you know, he's he's heading to the end of the plan for them on their behalf, so much so that he can say, present tense, yours is the heavens, the kingdom of the heavens. And it involves, unfortunately, horrifically, a tragic death on the cross for him. So in this gap between perfect and imperfect, Jesus presents himself the perfect. And at this point, no explanation. But as I've mentioned, something else was happening on that hillside that made a difference. The Spirit was giving these people probably not an awareness of what's going on, all the details. Instead, I think he was giving them hope, experiential hope, that even though the trail looked impossible, impassable, something was going to happen to make them successful. They seemed to uh, be empowered to trust Jesus that everything was going to be okay. I think. 
I mean, that's how I'm reading it. They're in good hands. Jesus, their new patron benefactor, is something they've never experienced, and he seems to be someone who could take care of his clients. Um, so, you know, I'm not... So many suggest that what the Spirit is giving here is them the power and the capacity to finally will uh, that to climb this slope on their own, kind of power pills, super capacity that gave them ability to do the impossible. But again, it's impossible. So the Spirit, I think, gave them intrinsic hope that even though they are aware more and more and more and more and more that they couldn't do it, that God is going to provide a way, a rescuer for failures somehow by some mechanisms they would make the peak, not by their own effort. In fact, in spite of their efforts. So let me say it differently. None of them, or, or me too, are perfect enough. Nowhere close. On a spectrum of zero to 10, with 10 being perfection. You know, all of us are still less than one. We're fractional. We're not even close, arguably. I mean, you might be better than me, but that's a low bar. Until Jesus, until Jesus. Jesus was both human and the embodiment of the perfection of God, and he became a substitute for the imperfect, me. And somehow, we're going to share that perfection. It's not clear in the Sermon on the Mount, but we seem to be able to trust our new benefactor. And our role, their role, follow him with all of their questions and doubts and, and, and human frailties and, and through the Spirit to trust more, to listen more, to process more, and eventually believe. And then when we get to the peak, what will we say? Well, clearly, man, we are here because we were rescued. We didn't make it. We failed. We wouldn't have made it on our own. He carried us. It's all about him. Amen? So, right, now can we begin to hear his rhetoric? Is he saying, don't be angry, don't lust, don't lie, love your spouse? Yeah. Okay, sure. That's He's not adding much to the Torah. I mean, really, uh, all those are good things. But is he saying that you need to do these things enough to warrant God's attention, God's favor? No, may God forbid. He's standing there manifesting God's attention, favor, and love. We're not going to get him closer, not even close for argument's sake. And again, success is at best less than one on a good day. <laughs> Honestly, and we need to be a 10. And we've already messed it up. So we, we look, we need a rescuer. We need to be fully dependent upon his righteousness. But that's going to take some time and process. We need to depend upon his honesty, his love for enemies, and the like. We can't do it enough. We're tragically in need of an intervention. This makes sense. Pushback, Bill, at gospel-app.com. This may be the first time you've heard that this clearly. Maybe you don't want to hear this. Maybe you 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 want to use the enabling argument. Well, that would just enable sin. And my response to that, but write it, write it to me. My response is, I don't need to enable sin. It seems pretty natural. <laughs> it seems we seem to be pretty enabled. We need a rescuer. So Jesus isn't done. He's going to continue to lay before these enviable people what perfection looks like. And in each case, they're going to agree. Uh, we're going to eventually get into the prayer. I think uh, in in light of this, the, we can read the his instructions on prayer, the Lord's Prayer, a little bit differently. I think it's going to be fun, lead to a lot of dialogue and pushback. We need a rescuer. And Jesus is going to press on until at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, even though no one says it, all are thinking it, well, then who can be saved? And the answer, there is no one 
beyond the salvation and rescue of Jesus. And there is no one who doesn't require that. No one. All right. This was a heavy, but I think fun. I hope, fun for me, I hope for you, Bill at gospel-app.com. Love to hear your feedback, your response. Pass it on. Get the dialogue going. Ask your Bible study group. Ask your church. If this is ringing true, um, is Jesus' strategy and the entire Sermon on the Mount should be becoming clearer to us. We should do all of these things better than we do, in fact, perfectly, and we haven't yet. <laughs> oh, I should speak for myself. I haven't yet. We won't. Either Jesus is crushing the hopes of these people, or he's pointing them on a dangerous, steep slope. They're never going to make it to the top. Or he has a plan where faulty failures, the unbelievers, the unrighteous, those who are despised and avoided here, they can get the blessings of God. The kingdom of heaven can be theirs. Here's an interesting exercise just for fun. Go back and reread the Sermon on the Mount with all of this in mind, and I think it's going to pop off the page to you, and I think you will be encouraged. Amen? All right, we're going to pick it up next time. I would like to thank lifeaudio.com for their support in these podcasts. Check out the other podcast at lifeaudio.com. Please get the word out about Gospel Rant. Subscribe, tell a friend. Just tell one friend this week, and uh, we'll build on that. There's nothing like the Gospel Rant out there. All right? Take heart, child of God. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.